Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Review Crew. It's where New Presidium's writers and editors gather to chat about what we've been seeing during the week. It's a partner to the review rundown on the site. And uh, I'm your host for today, Kevin Gossett, the LA Reviews Editor. We also have our founder on board. This is Noah Nelson. I'm going to mute myself for a second so I can type. Staying in Los Angeles, we have our arts editor. Hi, that's me, Laura Hess. Moving east, we have our Chicago Chicago curator. Hey everyone, it's Patrick McLean. And then all the way east, we have our East Coast curator at large. Hi there, this is Blake. All right, we got a real full show today. We had a short, uh, we were just a few of us last week, and now we got all five. So we're going to start off with some news. Um, a couple of big things dropped in the immersive world. And the first one was Secret Cinema is coming to Los Angeles with Arcane which is based on uh, League of Legends by Riot Games, whose studio is also based in Santa Monica in the Los Angeles area. And Arcane, I believe, is a show that will be premiering on Netflix soon. November. November. Look and at that, Blake with a date. I know. Coincidentally, that is when the uh, immersive event by Secret Cinema will open in Los Angeles. So um, if people aren't familiar with Secret Cinema, usually they usually put on a kind of large-scale immersive show and then screen a movie, or in this case, a television show episode, to go along with it. There will be two ticket levels with this one, and I think they'll be on sale by the time you hear this. There's a general admission, and then there's a VIP, which includes some early access, and what they're saying are additional storylines and a premium area. I'm not quite sure what that means. I have never been to a Secret Cinema show. Um, as they have previously all been in London, I believe. Also of note, and I think we'll discuss this a little bit later, is the event is being recorded and will be streamed each night on the show website. And to attend, participants will need to be agreed to be filmed and streamed. I'm not sure if we've ever seen anything like that, but um, that should be interesting, and maybe we'll open this up to a wider audience. The Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I, maybe we should, like, should, we, should we start with lol first and then then do the other one because there, there there is another big one but do you want to talk about these together i think we're gonna talk about them together because okay. it's kind of what patrick and, and blake were doing yesterday so let me Sweet. cover the second oh one. yeah let, let's set up this <laughs> grand duel okay let's go then here's the other one <laughs> and then next up um we've got arkham asylum which uh is department studios and myriad entertainment working in partnership with warner brothers and dc comics for a Batman themed immersive, which I think is uh, super cool and one of the bigger kind of IPs we've seen in the immersive space. That is coming to London in September of next year. So that one's a ways away and we don't have as much information about it because it is farther away. Um, but tickets will go on sale later this month. As far as kind of what that one's about, it will take place in Arkham Asylum and looks to be an original story focused on saving Gotham City. Um, Sorry, uh, I'm contractually required to do the voice. No, so. Of course. Yeah. And then it, it seems like it might feature at least Scarecrow, Catwoman, and Poison Ivy, who were billed in some of the kind of um, interview articles that went up with the the uh, announcement of that show. And uh, then they prefer also... Dr. Jonathan Crane, Dr. I'm... Pamela Isley, and uh, Miss Selena Kyle. Thank you very I, much. I apologize. So don't, uh, <laughs> don't slander them with these nom de crimes that uh, – anyway. That, yeah, oh, that I mean... was never proven in court that that 
they were never, those people. Never proven in court. <laughs> Harvey Dent never proved any of that before he very provably turned into the anyway. I'd vote for him again in an election. <laughs> you would, Patrick. You would. <laughs> I believe in Harvey Dent. And then before we get extra nerdy with it, uh, they are billing this one as not for the faint-hearted, and uh, participants will need to be 18 plus to get into the show. So I don't know quite what that entails. Um, Bat nipples, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had. <laughs> and now, now I'm going to turn uh, Patrick, Blake, and Noah loose on uh, what will probably be a very nerdy discussion about uh, these topics. And yeah, Laura, but, I'll probably chime in, but I know they have very strong feelings. About let's it. get the three big nerds and let them rip each other's throats out. <laughs> ten minutes on the clock. Here we go. All right. We could do this all night, but we're just going to do ten minutes. We're going to have tryouts. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start happy and say that I think that the Arkham Asylum experience sounds spectacular. I think if you had to do a Batman immersive, doing location based is great. Batman has a universal iconography that appeals to the normies, in addition to both the comic book people and the diehard immersive theater people. And Arkham brings some fun haunted house flavor to the whole affair. Right, and. <sighs> It's a serious the, house for serious people. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everyone Google that. Get it. That's a specific reference. Deep cut. Um, and yeah, and I, here's the thing. Like, I think Batman is a great property. I think to explore the asylum would be a really kind of cool thing. The issue uh, that I raise is almost in a way of, to be very blunt about it, like in comparison to, uh, arcane is who cares like uh, in many ways i i think i'm the... giving you like 15 like disturbed <laughs> cat gifts mentally right now like my ears well, are back hey, my eyes me. are like what yeah I, I didn't think I was going to be taking the con art side of this argument against Batman experiences, but here we are. Because I wonder uh, you'd vote for Harvey Dent. So. Well, there are two sides to every coin. Let's hear him out. <laughs> because uh, while I think, you know, we, unfortunately right now we know very little about what this arcane, uh, Arkham Asylum experience is going to be like, what it's going to entail. All we know is that, you know, it's going to be in London and it seems to be for those of uh, older. But then the question becomes, in many ways, I, I, I think the news with Secret Cinema partnering with League of Legends, which is a massive video game that has communities built into it, that people are playing it today, are actively involved, is the more exciting thing. And I think that's the thing that's going to really get people involved and excited about immersive entertainment. I, I feel like the argument we got into uh, yesterday before all this was, what are the kids going to do? Are the okay. kids? That's kids with okay. a Z. <clears throat> yeah, so, with a Z. <laughs> so let me, let me, well, before Blake Jensen, let me, let me drop a little bit of context here because from, you know, obviously from our point of view, uh, as observers of the field, secret cinema being attached to something. And, and it's kind of interesting that, you know, you know, secret cinema in England has been attached to the stranger things activation and to the Bridgerton activation, both involving Netflix uh, major collaborations here in the States, those activations 
uh, were branded Fever primarily. This is the first major Netflix secret cinema collab, not branded Fever here in the States. They don't seem to be using Fever as their ticketing site. Uh, so there's a lot of criminology going on in the field right now. It's like, oh, what's going on with that? But uh, we do know, you know, kind of BTS stuff, that at least some of the creative on the seek on the Stranger Things activation that was here in LA during pandemic at the parking lot of of the row DTLA, that that was using some of the secret cinema, to our best of our knowledge, I'm going to say, that was using some of the secret cinema creative. Uh, but that Netflix uh, and Secret Cinema, uh, their relationship is moving forward with this League of Legends setup. We know that a couple of years ago, uh, you know, Secret Cinema had announced some plans with Disney. They, I think, I don't care if they were part of their accelerator or not, but there was definitely some some talk going on that that hit the trades at one point. But this is the first time we've seen Secret Cinema a secret cinema branded event here in the States as immersive nerds. That's very exciting. Uh, context real, on the people to jump in real quick. Has any, yeah. have any of us done a secret cinema event? I feel like probably not because well, so, like, have you again, done one in the, London? The stranger things. I, I did the stranger things uh, drive into and reviewed it for no pro and, right. and, and it, it was fantastic. Um, I, I think it was so well designed uh, in terms of what Noah's saying exclusively secret cinema no fever involved i personally haven't but i i thought the stranger things drive into experience was so artfully done yeah and it's and and there is some question on that one you know uh mostly because fever's a little bit of a black box and like they were they were talking about secret cinema at the beginning and then they weren't and like it's it was, it was confusing right so there's there's that part of it i think the thing that's missing from from the analysis we've got in right here is you know, who are these people making this Arkham Asylum one? And so one of the companies involved is uh, the Department Studios. They are a spinoff of the department. And these folks have been around, and, you know, just disclosure, uh, Hamish Jenkinson uh, of the department and Department Studios, he's speaking at the next stage in January. He's going to be out there. Indeed, We've actually been tracking this one since 2019. This is not a fresh, out-of-nowhere project. This has been in the works for some time. Uh, they were going to talk about it at here, 2020. We were. It was going to be a surprise we had on the stage. Uh, we didn't get to do that routine. It was one of the things that made me very sad about pandemic. So there's all of that going on with it. But the department, um, they've the, the stu- department studios is now their creative arm. Uh, spinoff of the immersive agency that they've built. And they have have some huge brands they've worked with, like FIFA. They just did a giant projection mapping thing with BMW on the BMW's headquarters. And these guys get can trace themselves back to the London Old Vic Tunnels. So they helped, not helped is the wrong word, like they set that up. So a lot of the London underground immersive scene that kind of bubbled up in, over the past decade these guys were part of that from the beginning. So there is pedigree here in terms of the producers of the event. When it comes to the actual creative, I have no, I have no knowledge, not even like NDA knowledge that I can't share. I have no knowledge on like who's actually doing the creative creative. I will say that when uh, my co-to did a uh, Arkham Asylum 
uh, haunt on the Warner Brothers lot a couple of years ago, it was a hell of a lot of fun. And that was just a traditional haunt with a lot of performers in it. So um, I think there's a I think there's a chance here. Um, and and in the the article Catherine found uh, from the stage, which has a whole paywall, they noted that there's a tour possibility here. So I don't know, and that confuses me because I I don't know how you tour one of these shows. That's fascinating in of itself. Like, does that mean they're they're building this like on arenas or whatever? I'm not sure. Or are they finding lots of spaces, or they just intend to have it pop up in a number of cities, but in a serialized fashion? Um, I the, the there's there's plenty of projection chops that it, it isn't like people have been doing this for like three years. These are people who have definitely been doing it for like a decade plus. So we can we can set aside any of those fears. I just want to right. That. Yeah. Because oh. the I, I think what that why why Blake and I are here for everyone's entertainment is that it, it's not a question of necessarily. I have no concerns with who's doing what and who's involved. Uh, you know, if, if these are create, if, you know, Noah's explained at length here and rightfully so, these are professionals. These are people who are doing great things that we all should be exciting, excited about. I'm just simply trying to make a point of engage what communities are we always trying to engage in something that we always kind of talk about and i think all of these kind of for lack of a better word fringe entertainment venues like you know like escape rooms and immersive theater or other site specific things things that you know you don't go to a movie theater or a playhouse to go see is always about how do we reach new audiences how do we get them in like what makes them excited enough to leave their home and try something new? And I, I think, you know, cause Blake was a little kind of like of all of the, you know, things to maybe pick to do. For... It's a choice. I can be my own Grinch here. Thank you very yeah. much. I am frankly baffled by the league decision. Um, well, definitely, I, I see your point, and I think that it might be nice to expand immersive theater to a traditional video game audience. I think that secret cinema of any company might be one of the trickiest companies to pull off, considering their work. Their work is so LARPy. I, it really is about taking a role and embodying that role within a world which absolutely does not mesh in my mind with the style of League of Legends. And I say this as someone who has put not, not a lot of hours into League, but I have played some League in my time and I have very close friends who are deep into the League world. The game itself is nearly plotless. I mean, we, we can talk about, you know, the Netflix special, but that is building out one subplot out of several that get built out in very siloed different stories of the worlds that each champion is from that are told mostly through like animatics to promote new skins in the game or lore dumps with new characters this is this is not a plot heavy game or a world heavy game the game has you know one map it's typically played on it, it strikes me as just, uh, artistically speaking, 
this is going to have to really be built out of this show that no one has great affection for yet to build out its story because there's just not really the coherence of content in my opinion to build it out from the game and while certainly diehard fans are going to be interested in getting that lore dump there is part of me that wonders are the people who are that deep into it plentiful enough in los angeles at this point in time in order to really build out an audience for the run of this show. And I guess only time will tell. I know there is a huge league audience that is very passionate about it. What, what are the tickets well, again? Uh, they're 70 for general admission and 140 for VIP. Actually, Seven, 70 bucks. 70, 70? Wow. Wow, and it's actually gotta, closer to eighty after fees, I believe. I gotta, I, I got in, like, yeah. But this, but these people well, are already traveling. The video game community is already traveling for experiences. They're going to video game conferences to play with other people. I had a cousin who this year, months ago, was you know plays like, let's just say, War, uh, World of War, Warcraft or one right. of those games and she went to meet up with other people she plays all around the world and went out to some place to do that like she got on a plane and traveled it was a trip she made well then but so, i mean that's i mean that's that's to play with that's, that's to play with each other and, and and socialize with each other in that context and i think you know kind of to blake's point about you know like yes there are people who are into the lore of league i mean the funny thing is like my 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 major affiliation with League is the KD8 song from Beat Saber, right? Which I didn't even know was a League of Legends thing until it was explained to me that like every year they create a bunch of holograms of characters and then get real musicians to voice them. And I actually started to find that super charming um, and, and also mildly baffling. But this is a really this I mean, this is a bold the cartoon already is a bold IP extension for Riot. Um, and, if, if and that's actually, that's something I wanted to, to jump off of and, and something Blake kind of brought up a second ago too, is this is a very cartoony world. Most of the worlds that Secret Center have done have been at least a little bit more grounded in realism, but like the characters in League of Legends are like wild, weird characters. Like, you got like a giant robot. You got some aliens. You got some people in like outrageous costumes. Um, I think one of the characters on the art, I think, is known for like having like a truly massive like gun thing going on. And then I know we're also comparing this to Arkham Asylum, which is based off a comic, but Batman does feel a bit more grounded and seems like it makes sense for like an immersive world versus something that's like in this kind of cartoonier vein, if that makes any sense at all. I'm just going to be a tiny bit savage for a second. You know what this reminds me of more than anything, which I will admit, I loved it to pieces. But I gotta say this, this feels like the Alita Battle Angel experience to me. Mm. That had so much pedigree behind it. That was so well Mm. executed. But at the end of the day, this was a weird property that had a really hard time finding its audience. And tickets, at least in New York City, got cheap fast 
And, you know, if you, uh, to your point, Patrick, James Cameron has a huge following. There's a lot of anime people out there. This was an upcoming blockbuster hit. But I, I just worry about that sense of connecting to its audience here. I mean, there's this whole thing that's been going on where, and, and it's a fascinating strategy, right? Netflix is monetizing these things that at Comic-Con would be free. I, and, and, and uh, you know, obviously, because these are really expensive to, but it, to, to, to put people through, right? Like, but a Comic-Con activation would be what, like five minutes outside of the, the wild, like, Westworld one they did, which was <clears throat> yeah. Typically, but... you wait in line two hours to do Kevin, walk like ten minutes of feet. In all fairness, the first thing I ever covered for No Pro back in fall of 2018 was a multi-hour Comic Con activation oh, in which mind. I was inducted I into a cult. Yeah. So when I and I remember Josh Randall being on stage at Midsummer Scream one year and talking about how for an activation he did at Comic Con, like the throughput math was something like six hundred dollars per guest. Right? Was what it was, was costing them. It was a fascinating panel. And all of them were they were like, no, all of these things just lost money. Like yeah. immense amounts of money. But they're but the thing is is like, but no, but they didn't but they didn't they didn't lose money. Much the same way the post office didn't lose money. They cost money. Right? I get okay. That's like fair. they 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 cost a lot of money in order to make a real impression. And what's interesting about Netflix's approach uh with the secret cinema activation with this activation with the Bridgerton with all that they're doing uh, Stranger Things activation is they are they are seeing this as uh you know at least a break even but I also think it's part of their strategy around you know consumer products and um you know it's it's a revenue stream for them because how else is Netflix going to increase revenue like get more people to sign up. I'm sorry, but like everyone's already given their cousin their sign up, right? Like there's there's almost no growth left in subscriber base for Netflix at least for another 16 years before some of those and chill babies have to like, you know, start paying their weight. But like that's a really long-term strategy for for, you know, consumer growth whereas you know, making a lot of merch around stranger things you know, partnering up with the league uh, on this IP and then creating events. This is this is good. I I do. I think I'm on I'm on Blake's side here a little bit. Like, if you had told me this was forty dollars, I would have been like, oh man, what's that? Like three skins in the game? Like, I don't know. I'm old, so seventy dollars. I'm like, that's a triple A boxed video game. I what will say fudge? though. So from my point of view, I. Uh, Got the pre-sale email from Secret Cinema. I'm on their list from Stranger Things. And I bought uh, a ticket today. I know I have no familiarity uh, with uh, League of Legends. I am going purely off of my experience with the Stranger Things drive into. So for what that is worth in terms of Blake, and I, I think obviously Blake... Well, I think all of you are much more knowledgeable about this particular property than I am, but I'm curious to see not just in terms of how they're going to find their audience, like what Patrick's saying, people traveling, people that are deep, deep in, and loyal and into this world. I wonder how many people they are going to find that are purely new audiences that don't have any relationship to this IP that are going purely off of other experiences with secret cinema or what they've heard about secret cinema 
So well, probably not so wait, Netflix, hold on. One, other Netflix experiences, I think, is what they. Wait, I've got kind of. I want to jump off something Noah was saying and ask Laura. Like, do you have any? You bought a ticket for this, but do you have any inclination to like continue to dive deeper into this world and learn anything about it before you go to the show, or are you just be like, this is a cool immersive experience in LA. We haven't had Secret Cinema. Stranger Things was good. I'm just gonna go, or is this like an actual path into that like property for you? I think that's a great question. And so I, I think there's there's two things here probably worth noting. So, no, it sounds like you have more knowledge and information around Secret Cinema's role with Stranger Things. The way that it was presented, at least via their marketing, to me, it seemed very much like this was a partnership between Netflix and Secret Cinema and Fever was simply the ticketing platform. So maybe I am very mistaken on the details around that, but my... Uh, the relationship that I have, if you can call it that, with Secret Cinema thus far is that I very much think of the Stranger Things experience as a collaboration between Netflix and Secret Cinema. So uh, so, so that really was my, my draw to this. And Kevin, to your question, in general, I do try to go in as cold as possible with a lot of these things. And so... I, uh, I mean, I'm happy to report back on this later. I feel like my instinct right now is to do nothing or next to nothing ahead of it and just to, to go. Um, and then to see if I am drawn into the world, to what extent do I then dive deeper after the experience? But in a way, I love not having this relationship ahead of time. With Stranger Things, I was a very... Uh, I was I was definitely a fan, definitely an enthusiast. Had seen all the episodes, some of them a couple times. So, but I really enjoy these types of opportunities where I have no preconceived notions, I have no loyalties whatsoever, and so I'm sure I will miss things because of that. But I also think it's a unique opportunity to go in so cold and to really see how the experience lands from that point of view. Perfect. And I imagine we'll have we'll have an episode later because I I know I'm going to buy a ticket. I imagine Noah's going to attend as well, and then any of the other LA folks to kind of <laughs> chat through it. I they had they just you know full disclosure like they haven't they haven't set us up with any kind like you know we're we've got ways to talk to Netflix and we'll find out if there's a way for us to get access. But if if we can't if we can't get like, you know, press access, like I don't have $70 running around right now to like go, like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I love this stuff. And like, if I didn't do this as a job, like a lot of this stuff I'd be completely priced out of. And, you know, to sort of Patrick's point about, you know, will this be, will this be attractive to league fans? I think it's like, depending on which kind of league fan, I think the kind of league fan who like goes to a con and like cosplays, I think this is perfect for them. Right. Like, cosplay inspiration a go-go also the costumes better be better than cosplay otherwise we're gonna hear about it online like in a real way but i think this this point laura's bringing up is interesting to me because there's a whole fans of netflix which netflix is trying to develop that as a thing like they just had their own fan con uh to dumb what a name. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, wait, wait, wait. No, no, I'm sorry. What was that? It Did was called Tadum. 
like you know the noise like, it like the noise but um right they called their fan con to the I, I mean honestly the people i know on netflix are not part of the thing that did that so like you know somebody somewhere and they ran it all over weekend and it was just it was a blizzard of content announcements it's when the it's when the sandman trailer came out right but that's probably like the only thing i remember but that's the thing is like netflix Netflix's play is to have something for absolutely everyone, and they don't care if you miss 90% of what they're doing because they just need 10% of the of the global audience to pay attention to 10% at any given time. And once in a while, a squid game happens. Now, let me tell you, if they had known that squid game was going to take Secret off the way they there just would have been, the city would be on fire right now with people demanding to go, right? So like, they're probably sitting there going like, oh man, we picked the wrong thing. So, so if I can engage in a minute, just so long as we're kind of talking about financials and marketing strategy. If I can engage in a moment of baseless speculation here. Please do. This, the $70 price point actually struck me as a little bit odd in that I think it's on the low end of things. Because just looking quickly at what this is going to have, we're going to have a secret cinema style, you know, set design. That's a huge upfront cost along with costumes and actors. There's going to be a full digital pre-show experience Everyone gets a bespoke character profile with backstory and missions. Uh, the set I'm seeing is 25,000 square feet. There is the f- full 360 audiovisual experience. At, at that cost, $70 sounds almost closer to a break even point. I'm, 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 Laura, I'm imagining. Do we know how long the. Run is and Laurie may be able to see that. It's about a two-hour run. No, no, I mean the it's like until, the the run of the show. Yeah, it's November twenty-first through December nineteenth. So this okay. is a it's just a few weeks. Also, this, also this this assumes something. Do do we know where it is in? No. Or is this when location? you buy a ticket, mm. it still doesn't tell you. I actually can <sighs> pull up the language, but it is something along the lines of like I actually thought it was quite funny because it says do not use this location for your map for your GPS. Um, but it's an, uh, yeah, it says, let's see here. Indoor. Okay. Here's the full description, which I think is amazing. Indoor centrally located venue in LA. Do not use these map directions. Central LA, Los Angeles, California. I wonder, I wonder if they're using the, expo hall mm. like like because the thing is is like that could explain and that would also limit how long the, the run is or it could be kind of an arena show setup um and and just because like if if they're if they're in a non-traditional venue and we've seen this over and over again i mean impact museums and and um the other folks uh, who Lighthouse do Lighthouse Immersive, yeah, Lighthouse Immersive. But there's the the, the the Lighthouse is like they have another partner too, and beyond Lighthouse, like that together they form Lighthouse. But like the the Lighthouse here in LA, which is the old Amoeba space, like they had to push back their opening by a couple of days because they couldn't get the permitting done right. But like if you if they're using like the convention center, they're going to be able to like get away with it 
you know, much easier. So it's all, it's all fascinating to me. So also okay. I'm noticing just really quick, there is a premium ticket that we're not talking about. That is $140 that one of the line items is additional storylines, private character meets and missions become available for oh, an wow. extra $70. So in many ways they've got, they've to, so using this Netflix model, <laughs> they they got Laura for her seventy dollars, but then for the people who are into this, they're the the pay I mean, to play model even, works. Even me, who's not that into it, I'm probably going to buy the VIP ticket just to to see because it's that's probably a better experience is is getting some of that private stuff or the more intimate stuff and paying for it. And I'm into immersive; haven't been like a big one in a while, so let's go. So basically, though. What we're saying here is that the financials are wacky here. We can't make heads or tails of this. Very wacky. And we're, you know, the most inside baseball of inside baseball people. What what is starting to be my creeping suspicion is that both Netflix and Riot have about as much money as the Catholic Church. They are loaded, you know. (laughs) And so there, there almost strikes me, you know... Is there potentially marketing funding being diverted? Oh, to sure. I mean, there's, there's, cinema there's no acting is the main kind of profit taker from this. There's no. I mean, that yeah, that could be that could be like secret cinemas, like you know, getting getting the the cut. I mean, when you think about, I mean, look, JFI right now they're doing Creep. They're taking a week off to do. I know what you did last summer. That's Amazon. They're they're getting the Amazon activation money pumped into the to the ghost light. They're going to like reskin it a little bit, so it's not going to be exactly the same. But they're not going to tear down everything. They're just going to like redo some set deco and then put creep back on, right? Like this isn't, uh, it's not brain surgery, but got to imagine. I have no, I have no knowledge of the actual numbers here, but that's pretty savvy. And I got to imagine it's helping them do better than break even on creep. Um. So there's definitely, I mean, there's there's definitely a way in which this, there's a, there's marketing money being pumped into this, no doubt. I think the question is, the, the play has got to be, and, and the thing that could make this good is if they've poured their creative in, in a real way, if they've made something fantastic, then it could bolster the IP. So Patrick, I think almost well, like it's, I think it's almost like a reverse situation where you're talking about where like the IP is going to drive these people who are totally into it. I don't know, aside from the cosplay side of things, how deep the fan love of the League lore is, but I could see kind of Delora's point, if the creative here is really great, then this could help help weird way help mainstream the league um IP in the exact way that the cartoon is supposed to mainstream the league IP. And we, we don't usually see this happen um i can't the the first thing that comes to mind is like back in the 80s with like transformers and gi joe but those were just done tableau raza those were done from basically scratch like gi joe was a brand but it didn't really exist i think we've been on this for a while so i think we probably do want to move on i want to make (laughs) make one point here about this forever yeah we barely talked about arkham No. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask, I have one more question. I, mean, I actually look in the, the um, Secret Cinema site, and it, it does make a point that the general admission ticket and the premium admission ticket, it seems to cast you in a different role based on which one you buy, which is an interesting way to maybe tie that into the show. Um, 
Mm. To that, we were talking about people traveling for an immersive show. Would people travel for League of Legends? And I guess my question to each of you is uh, just a one word answer. Like, would you travel for Arcane? Would you travel to go to Arkham? Or would you travel for neither? And Laura, we'll start with you. Uh, I already had sort of jokingly said to my partner that we have to go to London next fall. So um, with the new Punch Drunk show, uh, and, and again, like I am not a, a Batman fanatic at all. Um, I might be more in the minority in this case, but I do feel like I'm someone who will go see a production or, or experience a production just based on past creative by that company. So I am absolutely considering, is it possible for me to get to London next fall specifically for those two shows? All right. And then Patrick, would you travel for either one of those? At this point, neither. Okay. And then Blake... Uh, I'm kicking myself that I'm already booked to go to London this uh, summer. Um, let's hope that there's some previews. Otherwise, I'll be making another trip to London sometime pretty soon. <laughs> All right, so that's a yes. And then I would, I would think I would probably travel to London, but like, like Laura would be to hit both the Burnt City and Arkham rather than like just traveling for Arkham. And then Noah will we'll end with you. The good news for me is that I don't have to worry about traveling. They'll take me back soon enough. <laughs> so is that a yes? Is that a no? Uh, yes. Uh, if I can, if I can make it happen, particularly because it's the twofer with Bird City, which I do not have tickets for. I mean, I'm this other thing. I'm broke, so <laughs> I, I I'm broke, so. Here's the thing. I will not be buying tickets at the end of this month in much the same way that I didn't buy tickets to the Burnt City when they came up because I'm broke. I'm not uh, buying – hold on. I'm not buying a Star Cruiser because I'm broke. If well, I had – That takes a fortune. It takes a fortune. Uh, if I had and, – and if I have to look at these as purchasing decisions, right? Like if you told me – if you said, hey, Noah, here is – three thousand dollars and you can you can only use it to travel for immersive stuff what are you gonna do with it next year i'll be like obviously star wars duh right like that's simple with me um the the other thing is like there is a chance that the arkham's gonna gonna travel i will say the fact that burnt city and arkham are both gonna be in london at the same time and i have zero idea if there'll ever be a version of Burnt City anywhere but London, that makes it very tempting. And in a world where I can make the math work and, you know, go there, even if it's like, you know, late winter 2023, well, after everything's kind of been running for a while, because I'm not going to be part of the initial land rush. Um, yeah. In a, in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. Um, I just think it's really telling that everyone decided to go to Arkham to also go see. Because uh, they're in the same town. Show. 
if 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 I'll, but the question the, was yeah we all picked the third one or option, the other which was yeah, go okay. see the punch what, drunk show let's let's say that arkham was in like Reykjavik. would you still go Ooh yeah! Oh my gosh, it's Reykjavik. Yes, to, yeah, that'd, that'd be dope, Iceland, right? right? No, let's do <laughs> let's do something. Okay, okay, let's let's do so, let's let's change the stakes a little bit. Let's say it was just in Boston. Nothing against Boston. Boston's like totally fine, but it's a it's a normal American city that has you know it, it doesn't it doesn't have like a whole bunch of immersive stuff going on the regular and there, and let's say there's no ART show going on right to draw through. Like, would you guys? And there's and there's no there's no punch drunk show happening, right? Like, if it was just there, I might still go to Ark. I would go to Arkham if it was like in the states, and didn't, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's that, travel, it's that crossing the line for thing. Arkham, but I wouldn't travel for a secret cinema. I don't think. I mean, I haven't traveled for a secret cinema. Like, I've had multiple opportunities. Yeah. You know, like the closest I've gotten is like you know hearing about. Empire Strikes Back after the fact and being like, God damn it. Okay, so what we're saying is drinks at Pennyworth's at that weird immersive bar <laughs> for Batman in London after we go to Arkham. I, I believe so. Yes. Yes. Well, and yeah. on, on that note, I actually have to jet. I had just about uh, 45 minutes tonight and I will let you get to the actual reviewing. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Blake, to have a uh, very nerdy debate about immersive and then get really inside baseball. All right. This is uh, part two of Review Crew for uh, Wednesday, October 13th. We're actually going to pick up with the, the things we saw this week. And we're going to start, we're going to take a pivot away from the nerdiness of arcane and arkham asylum and we're gonna jump to laura to talk about wayfinder yeah wayfinding wayfinding Um, i'm sorry yeah let's talk about signage people um so uh no no don't go um this is actually i'm really excited to talk about this i mean this is sort of different kind of nerding out in my opinion and i'm delighted this is wayfinding is the name of the show it's by an american artist she's a multi-form conceptual artist named chloe bass this is currently being presented at the Pulitzer Arts Foundation in St. Louis. Um, I was there recently for a visit and got to experience this in person. And one thing that I want to highlight for people is that I think there's so much that you can get out of this show remotely. So I'll back up for a minute and give you an overview. Um, this is at the Pulitzer Arts Foundation, which is a beautiful museum in St. Louis, but these, this wayfinding signage is distributed on the grounds. So it is outdoors and it, there's four sort of main, um, sections. It's divided up into four sections and each one has a beautiful, large mirrored billboard style sign. And what Chloe Bass is doing is these are very poetic um, the, the text on these signs, and some of them are very small. Um, they're almost like hidden in these different gardens or sort of little nooks in the landscape. And then again, there's kind of an anchor, large mirrored billboard for each section. And these have different um, 
sort of very emotional, very resonant, very poetic bits of text. And these are, uh, so she's, she's sort of inverting this more traditional wayfinding signage from this very, you know, kind of utilitarian, often very subconscious or unconscious reflex that we have in the way that we use it. And that it's this external way that we source information, that we orient ourselves in the physical world and, and sort of turning it on its head into this very resonant poetic experience, which winds up being this internal probing dialogue about wayfinding for ourselves in our lives through different situations with other people. Um, and it is a fascinating presentation because, and this is why I'm saying this is still, I think, something that can be very resonant for, for people remotely, on the Pulitzer Arts Foundation website, you can see examples of this. Um, and for example, one of the mirrored billboards just says, how much of love is attention? Another one is how much of belief is encounter? Uh, so these are just, just to give you kind of a sense of what the, the narrative is. And then what goes along with this, it's hosted on SoundCloud, is a roughly 30-minute audio piece. I listened to this separately. I, this was not something I listened to while I was exploring the signage. And it is absolutely fascinating. She is combining text from multiple sources. So you actually have some Google and Yelp reviews of the Pulitzer. Uh, there's quotes from a, a local St. Louis city government program, kind of, you know, legalese um, around this government program, contractual information. Um, text from landscape architecture teaching guides and reports by the National Institutes of Health, and then plus Chloe Bass's personal narrative. So she's interweaving these things in ways, I mean, these seem like completely um, unrelated sources of information. How do these work together in conjunction? And there is a written transcript of this audio text, and of course, the, the audio itself. And I listened to this after I'd seen the signs in person. And it is such a strangely, um, how do I say this? Like, she really is exploring how do we use language and language's negative space to mold our own psychological environments. So for example, like, how are we creating immaterial landmarks to navigate different situations and different people and moments in our lives in the way that we also do with wayfinding signage. I, I think it is such a fascinating exploration about just the concept of wayfinding and how she is inverting it again on a psychological and emotional level. So I want to stop there because I realize this one is uh, this one's a little bit more complicated and, and hard to describe. And so I want to see if there's any clarity needed about what I just said. Uh, I actually do have a question. Please. I, it first starts with kind of the scope of this, because I'm curious, because I'm looking at some images, which maybe like we can describe 
the actual um, foundation a little bit, but is was this the entire foundation? Was this part of it and some of it outside? Was it all outside? How was this building used? So it's all outside. So there's a couple of different, um, there's two, like, I would say significant gardens and they're on opposite sides actually of the building itself. So this is not inside the building. This is a completely outdoor experience. And, and again, some of these, you sort of feel like a bit of a scavenger hunt element to this. Um, some of the signs are very small. And like I said, they're kind of tucked away. So you're having to find, there's no map of where the signs are. And so you're just maneuvering around these different gardens and spaces and looking for these the signage, which is again all very evocative. It's more um, kind of internal musings and questions around how we orient ourselves psychologically and emotionally. It feels it's very intimate. It's very personal, and yet Bass is so skilled that it feels incredibly universal. And there's repetition too between some of the signs. Um, there, there's elements that sort of repeat, but she has tweaked the language. So it's just a really interesting way of presenting how we orient ourselves in the very nature of how we find our way through life from a psychological standpoint and not simply a physical standpoint in actual physical space. Patrick, did that answer your question? No, it did, because I think that was very helpful, because for those listening who might not have Googled it at this point, so essentially, like, the images of the foundation kind of remind me, it has a very Frank Lloyd Wright aesthetic, but if you only used cement for everything, and if you're looking at it from above, it looks like the building itself is kind of U-shaped. And in the arms of the U, there's kind of like a reflecting pool. And then, Laura, as Laura, you said, it's this beautiful, like, massive kind of garden space uh, uh, surrounding it. And I'm kind of then curious, so you're hunting and pecking, like, did you yourself create the narrative as you explore? Not, not narrative. Did you, let me say that again. Did you, like begin to piece together everything, these themes, these ideas, these connections yourself, or were you supposed to be using, as you said, that audio component to maybe guide you through everything at large? That's a great question. And so the audio component, um, I, I would be so curious to talk to someone who listened to it during. I, I would find that, I mean, there's no wrong way to experience this, but because she is incorporating, so she's linking um, health disorders. So for example, one that, that might seem you know, quite apparent to people is Alzheimer's. So she's, she's taking from the National Institutes of Health some of these reports and, and these health disorders that make a lot of sense in terms of how you, questions around how you orient yourself. And, and again, is interweaving in this incredibly fascinating way that I, I find so challenging to describe. Um, she's linking that with these like actual architectural wayfinding tenants 
and then again, Yelp and Google reviews of the Pulitzer in ways that are in no way obvious. And yet it flows so seamlessly and it challenges your idea of, again, how you might orient yourself in life through non-traditional wayfinding elements. And it, it, it has, I, I cannot stop thinking about this installation. So I did not listen to it immediately following either. I think it would be confusing to listen to the audio piece. They did have a QR code on the billboard, an, a, a separate billboard that's just about the show, a traditional sign. Um, I would find it actually really distracting, kind of disorienting to listen to that during the show. So I, I literally, and I went to, and this is an important detail for anyone that might actually be in St. Louis. I actually went and experienced the show on a day that the museum itself was closed. So again, this is completely exterior. It's not even in the interior kind of garden area. And um, it's, so it's completely open to the public. Uh, the museum itself is free. But anyone that's just in the area on any day at any time could go and experience this show, which is also true. I mean, that's um, symbolic of wayfinding in general. This is something that's always available to you if you're in the area to go and, and see and experience and help you to orient yourself in some way. But I think the audio component is best experienced completely separate after the fact and initially just going and doing, searching for the signs and reading the signs and what they evoke in you and what lands and how they work together or how they don't work together. And I think for people who, who aren't in Missouri or able to make it out there, the, the website actually, they have a few of the signs up and I think it does a, a good job of kind of capturing the elements of the show and kind of what it's at least playing with, if not getting like the full impact of it. So you can check that out. Um, you get the link in the review rundown from Laura's piece on wayfinding. Yep. And now we're going to make a quick jump because we are deep into the show and we have one show covered. So um, Noah, do you want to talk about Ascension? I will jump in and talk about Ascension. So this is uh, a new play. And I mean that in the total sense of this is like a, a brand new play from the Echo Theater Company here in Los Angeles. Uh, and the director is Ahmad Best, uh, who, uh, you know, folks probably know as, uh, as an actor in the Star Wars prequels of one of the major characters. Uh, and the playwright is uh, a cat from, um, I think he's from Las Vegas, because that's what his... Um, that's his Twitter profile when I was like trying to find his Twitter profile. <laughs> it was like he was like Vegas uh, was in his name, uh, and that cat's name is DG Watson. DG Watson, yeah, I'm just pulling it up. Um, so, so the player is DG Watson. Uh, the director is Ahmed Best. The company is Echo Theater Company. It's playing at the Atwater Village Theater in Los Angeles. Uh, Echo Theater Company did a Zoom play over the course of the pandemic called Under the Freeways in Los Angeles, which I thought was uh, very, very well written, but kind of had some like, you know, issues around uh, just kind of like what was the audience doing it in and whatnot, like kind of the structure was a little off. This one's really interesting because Ascension was originally planned as a Zoom play. And as pandemic 
uh, moved into its new phase, it was transitioned into a live stage play. Um, I feel like the first act works a lot stronger than the second act does. Uh, the setup is you 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 get in, you sit down, you're in a normal theater setup. They actually did a curtain speech that said, hey, we want you to like interact. We want you to talk back to the performers. We were not expressly told that we couldn't get up and move around. They kind of like, you know, relied upon us to hold to the social uh, contract. Um, we were expressly told we could talk, but we weren't told anything else. I think everyone just assumed we couldn't move. And at no point was it obvious that we were supposed to move. Um so what's interesting here is it's a it's a sci-fi piece that has uh, some interesting thought experiments going on around uh, you know uh, incarceration around the the kind of this idea of uh, you know memory and identity and definitely some thoughts around agency and the whole thing is posited as. Uh, we as an audience are interacting with this young woman who uh, wakes up trapped inside like a, a sleeping pod, like you'd find on like, you know, like a, 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 a spaceship and like alien or whatever. And she's able to hear us. We're able to hear her. There's an AI running the ship. And for parts of it, we're able to help her navigate what she needs to get out of the pod and then kind of move the story forward. And then at points she flashes back to, um, you know, someone else's memories. It appears she's, she's getting someone else's memories and it's the designer of these pods. And they came up with a concept now, like during pandemic era. So this kind of like flashback, flash forward, it kind of takes place in like three different eras. There's a lot going on, but at least for the first act, it's it's pretty cohesive and our role and what we can do and some of the ideas that are laid out are pretty compelling. And so much of that has to do with just some pretty solid dynamics on and dramatics on the writing a really good cast that just keeps it grounded despite the fact that it's like this like big sci-fi thoughts and this wacky structure that's going on and this experiment of you know and the really difficult experiment of here's 40 or 50 people who have the right to shout at the characters and who at times are asked to do things like call that number right like call that phone number and like it starts to get incorporated in and they start playing with the audience in this way um, the second act comes around and they start kind of layering some more stuff in. Uh, it gets a little meta. Uh, at one point, you know, one of the characters, you know, starts chastising us, you know, for like, you know, not taking a more active role or for just kind of wallowing in the in the the, the sadness that the character is going through. Like, you know, we're basically told like we're bad people for watching this person suffer, and that stuff lands in a weird way with me just because like well you know we could just leave or we could just tell like the actors to go you know screw themselves like in character but it definitely is like you would be violating the social contract so it feels a little like yeah this doesn't really doesn't really doesn't really work and kind of throws throws us out of the world but when it holds to the central conceits and holds to some of the drama and holds to kind of the the moral questions of hey if if we could just you know drop someone who was going to be incarcerated into cryo sleep instead 
Like, wouldn't that be better, right? You know, just things like that. Like, what are we doing with like warehousing people um, when it comes to incarceration? Like, there's the, and there's that part of it, but there's also that I- the idea that they're playing with that I think they're really playing with. You know, all of the technology we have, um, how is it being used in ways that are not intended by the creators or aren't necessarily a real social good, but are making some people a lot of money. So as um, as a fictionalized exploration of, you know, figures like, you know, the head of Amazon and a few other companies, there's definitely some of that is, is in the mix here. And when the writing's doing that, it's really good. When the writing is keeping to a relatively, when the structure of the piece is keeping a relatively straightforward playfulness with the audience, really good. When it starts to kind of go into a meta direction, uh, in my review I said, and this image came to mind when I was there that night, particularly during the second act, of just, you know when you've got a Jenga going and you know it keeps on getting taller and taller and taller, and you're just wondering like, when is it gonna fall down? And then there's that one piece that's just like painfully out of place. And you're like, oh, if that piece was just not put in wrong, we'd be okay. Definitely gets that vibe going on as it goes on. It never collapses under its own weight, which is an impressive feat. But by the end, it feels like it's really trying to be two different plays. Um, and I, I'd, I'd be happier if it was like trying to be a little tighter. That all said, they're also trying to do something that's pretty difficult, which is inject some interactivity and a very particular form of interactivity into a traditional theater setting with a very traditional theater audience um, and bring them along for the journey. And that's super commendable and is an approach we don't see all that often, I think in large part, partly because I think the people who are interested in, you know, immersive and interactive stuff, or maybe, you know, equally interested in doing work in non-traditional spaces, but also because, you know, it's, it's harder. It's harder to take a black box and perforate the fourth wall and not have the whole thing come careening out of control. Well, and it's just to maybe, I feel like you maybe kind of mentioned this, but just to maybe clarify it, how successful did you feel uh, this format's uh, attempt to engage with the audience worked? I mean, during the first act, I thought spot on, right? Like up until a point, you know, about a quarter of the way through the second act where they went meta on us. Uh, <laughs> and, and the, and the thing is, is like, it was opening night. I'm a critic, so I'm not going to lean fully into like my full player mode. Cause again, opening night, not press preview night where it would have been like, Oh, there's only other press here. Right. But like, there was a character that was basically like, well, they, those, they don't care about you. The audience, these people watching us, they don't call us the audience, but like those people don't care about you to the main character. Like they're just enjoying your suffering. And all I could think of was, I just wanted to shout at the guy like, Oh, what are you afraid of? Right. You know, like I, I wanted to go, I wanted to start heckling, um, the character, but again, this weird state where it's like, well, uh, like then, then I'm throwing it all out of balance because again, they're with an audience, right. 
like and they're with an audience that are like at various degrees but i do think they also you know they they tempted us into things like they baited us with you know one sequence where one of the characters goes into protest mode and they like start asking some loaded political questions wanting to see if the audience is going to like take the bait so um, I'm very curious if there are folks who do run in and just totally take the bait, but it was it was definitely awkward for me where I'm sitting there going like, well, I'm a critic, I'm in a critic seat. People could tell because like I'd had my name put on it, you know. I've you know like everything, every my role, my social role is prescribed here, and yet uh, at the same time the show is kind of edging up. But at no point did they tell us, you know, please don't like run onto this. Age. And I'm just like, man, some night, particularly like some of the more active LA, you know, immersive kids, they might just be like, oh no, man, like let's go. Right. And, and things could very quickly uh, go off the rails, which maybe they're ready for, but I really got the sense that they're not ready for it to go fully off the rails, but I could be wrong. Maybe I'm, I'm actually still unclear as to what you believe this meta element, what maybe the intended goal was, even if it didn't deliver, I guess I, I'm still not understanding. I'm, how I'm kind of a little, well, that's because like, I don't, I don't know what they were trying to like get at there. Right. Like there's, there's a way in which like, you know, we were, we were ultimately endowed and I'm trying not to spoil it. Right. You know, like who we were in relationship to the, main character was not given to us at the, at the start, but was revealed. And I thought that was done very well, right? Like late in the first act, it was pretty clear who we were to her. But then in the second act, relatively early on, uh, one of the other characters uh, basically kind of casts us back in the role of the audience, even though we've already been like uncasted from that role, and basically just told, you know, we're told the lead character is told that we are just there to enjoy her suffering, right? Which is a very meta commentary on what an audience does, right? Like we just watch these characters' little lives; they're not real to us, right? She's been like, you know, you're not real to them, right? And the the temptation, and and then the characters are like, "Am I real to you?" Right? And we're like, "Oh yeah!" Like like almost like a Tinkerbell thing. It's like, "Yes, Tinkerbell, we believe in you." Clap, and like, clap everybody, clap. clap everybody, right? And and you know, there's there's a way in which we could just go like, "Oh, like, oh no, you guys are fake." Like, yeah, you're totally fake. Like, you're just actors on the stage, and like, and I don't know. I was tempted, but it felt like if I had gone that way, I would have been the asshole there. Even though all I would have been doing is like, oh, you're going to ask us, you're going to, you're going to note that we're at a show. You're going to basically say like, you're just, you're just a character in a show to them, right? And it's like, why are you doing this? You're, you're literally throwing us out of the drama to just comment on the fact that like we're watching a show. Like you are deliberately deconstructing that. Where do you want to go with that? Uh, and no one else rose to the bait. And honestly, I was in. And I think to some degree, like we didn't rise to the bait because we were more interested in the characters as characters. We were more interested in the ideas that were inside the drama than in examining the structure of what it means to watch characters suffer. Right? Like it just wasn't that interesting of a of a of a question in the moment. 
And if we want to go like a real deep read, it felt like a, it felt like imposter syndrome, like raising its head, like the production itself being like, are we really this good? Well, let's, let's talk about the fact that like, this is just a show. Right. And like, that's why the image of a, of a Jenga tower came to mind because it just, it wasn't necessary or needed and just kind of confused. Right. It was just like, why are we doing this right now when we've got, you know, a meditation on the prison industrial complex, a meditation on identity, a meditation on technology's pervasive roles in our lives and the unintended consequences thereof. Right. Like there's all of these ideas and then to throw meta in on top of it. It's like, why are we going there? I mean, that's, that is something that immersive loves, loves to do is pile in a bunch of ideas and then go meta. So it's at least, uh, it's consistent there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and often, and often the, the thing that happens in the sophomore show of a company, right? Like, like it's, it's literally the second place they go. Well, what if we go meta? And it's, it's, for me, it's never enjoyable. Uh, I think often because I always get the sense of, you don't really want to have this conversation right now. Like you don't want us to auto critique this in the middle of it. Right. You know, this stuff takes a really delicate hand, I think to actually enact well, I think lots of people try it and it's, then it's like you, you run to the risk of, uh, confusing your audience, breaking your show in the middle of it and, and all the problems that you've, you've talked about. Yeah. I feel like it's a siren that every immersive creator, <laughs> like, you know, like just if, if, you're, if you're, if you're feeling the urge to go meta, just lash yourself <laughs> to the mast, have your crew stuff cotton in their ears. And if you want to listen to the song, that's fine. But whatever you do, do not land on the Island. Don't land on on Meta Island. All right. And now we're going to step away from Meta Island and go into <laughs> virtual reality with Patrick. Yeah. I'm going to be kind of brief on this one because this is an experience that No Presidium has covered in the past to a certain extent. But uh, last weekend, uh, last week, I mean, excuse me, I went to see with some other correspondents and friends Dr. Crumb's School for Disobedience disobedient pets this is from adventure lab it's a vr experience um essentially the premise is you and up to eight other it's eight players in total so you and up to seven other people are cast in the role of this agency that is going in undercover to dr crumb's school as you know critters uh you know hamsters cats uh, bunnies, things like that, because the evil Dr. Crumb is building a doomsday device that is going to destroy the world. And the only way to stop him is to work together to complete obstacles and puzzles that he's put in the path to prevent anyone from tampering with his doomsday weapon to, you know, succeed. And Honestly, at the end of the day, this is just a really delightfully wacky, zany, and easygoing escape room-like experience full of shenanigans that will keep you laughing. Um, essentially, what happens with it is that it's available to any almost anyone with a VR headset, uh, except uh, people with a PlayStation headset. Uh, there's cross-platform engagement here, which I think is desperately needed for a majority of live vr experiences because 
as we've kind of touched upon time and time again in a lot of the things we cover, it's like, oh, would you like to do this VR experience? Well, this one requires a you know, gaming computer, and that's, you know, before you've bought a really expensive headset. So I really think it's cool that, you know, if your friends are maybe more sophisticated with their VR technology than you are, and you're just like me and just like, I'm happy to be on the the quest. Sure, Facebook is stealing my data, but it sure is easy to use. Um, You're in luck there. Essentially, you know, you go through i think at least three if not maybe more kind of like challenge areas that require teamwork to work together um you know you always got to be constantly communicating uh you've got to be like being able to look around and see some of the characters depending on which animal they decide to play have special abilities which could you know act as a boon to the group as a whole if they're paying attention and they communicate oh hey i think i see a secret path over there maybe that will help us um and i think that's kind of a really cool thing what makes this experience i think is that you know you interact with a whole cast of different characters but in every session of dr crumbs they're played by one performer and uh, hilarious just a really great time you know the show is typically all ages appropriate which i think is also another great idea but what i really enjoy is how you know if they get a sense of maybe how everyone is joking maybe it'll skew a little more adults uh, never inappropriately or totally like out of line but uh, you know, if you're an all adult audience, they definitely kind of open up the humor to still be for you, but nevertheless safe and appropriate. And it really just made the most of it. And I, I, and this is something that I've seen on Twitter talked about. Uh, I think it was Brandon Powers who pointed this out that, you know, unfortunately, it feels like VR is going the way of all video games where it's, you know, first person shooters all the time. That's the only way and that's the only experience that can ever be had. And I think it's just great to stop and celebrate Dr. Crumbs and things like Welcome to Respite and the Under Percents of Tempest that have these live components that are doing something more with VR rather than shooting something, whether that's zombies or being in a spaceship or something. Because that, that live component is really what makes it feel more like an immersive show and not just a video game, right? Like, that is that is the kind of crux of the kind of Yeah, because that there. person is definitely, the actor is serving as the game master, kind of giving you instructions and guiding you through. Like, I, I to compare it to the Under Percent's Tempest, you know, you are there to definitely, like, watch an experience be immersed have moments of interaction but you know the performance goes on the tempest will run its course where in dr crumbs you are front and center that performer is pushing you to be front and center because even in between challenges uh you know different obstacles and puzzles we had to solve we you know we turned to kind of like a a hub space and we're like doing funny moments of like interaction or Dr. Crumb 
asks us to be like, okay, well, you know, to be part of my evil organization, you need to show that maybe you can entrap people. So like you over there, pretend to be vulnerable and try to pull me in. And then when I finally get close enough, that's when you go in for the kill. And we all role played our little attempts to, you know, lure the doctor in and then, you know, uh, whether that was like karate chop him to death or just punch him, whatever it may be, really made the experience, uh, to your point, Kevin. Like the puzzles were fun, nothing too terribly complicated to write home about, but I- I- I'm thinking constantly more as I drift away from when I experienced it. All of those moments of group interaction amongst ourselves, the other players, or with Dr. Crum or any of the other characters that were being played. I mean, having done this like a, a early in pandemic, it was it, it was just a lot of fun and it really felt like going to an escape room with friends when you have like one of those escape rooms where there's a performer in it. And uh, I I think it's a delight. I'm so glad it's back. It was gone for a little bit. Um, it's just a very smart show. It's a very smart experience. Um, it's great to get like an escape room crew together and do, you know, like a far flung crew. And like, I think when they originally set it up, they were thinking like, you know, people who like live very far apart from each other and then pandemic happened, they realized, oh, people even lived like, you know, around the corner from each other who couldn't do this anymore. But the fact that like the, the whole teamwork is baked into the setup with, if you're one character, you can see things that another character can't and having to share information based off of different perceptions. That's something that you can't do in a physical escape room. And it's something that they do to great effect here. It was something that was done in the Jumanji void experience. And I just, I love seeing it. And the performers, the performer that I had, sounds like much like Patrick, just really great. You know, just like, it's, it's great. It's fun. It's funny. And um, I'm I'm so glad it's back. Well, and to the point that Noah made, like it, it's an escape room that you could do from anywhere with anyone. If we were never in fear, we always had at least like two minutes available in each challenge before we, you know, solved it or completed the last obstacle. But even if we had failed everything and had not maybe reached the intended ending of the experience, I still think I would have had a really fantastic time. Like it, like the environments were really cool. It just really were awesome to explore and made the most of VR and everything it can do. And that performer is the star of the experience in that sense of like the center. It's what holds Dr. Crumb's together and really draws you in so i i i've almost i've stumbled into this idea that i almost want to like try to get some people and do really terribly and see what happens and could we still have an amazing time and i suspect we will but it would be a a new way in for sure oh i would be super down to do that um i want to say or i want to ask what would you say is the best and actually, I'd be curious between Patrick and Noah if you are in agreement about this. Um, more from like a logistical standpoint, 
if it's up to eight players, do you have a sense of what the kind of, you know, generally the ideal number is? So when I did it last week, it was five of us in total, which seemed perfectly right. Uh, you know, because there's the five of us talking, there's typically a character that a performer is portraying, is talking. Uh, it's very easy to lose audio, like in the sense that we're all talking over each other and, the, uh, and you know, the sound system on some headsets isn't there yet. So it, it gets very clippy. So people, you know, get lost very easily. So I felt like my guess would be probably three to six. Uh, the, the thing with the price point is it's a flat rate. So the $75 to book a session, an hour long session, it can just be you and one other person. Uh, it, if you really want, it could be up to eight people. Uh, but I felt like five was like, yeah, this just feels really good. Nice. And then, I mean, that kind of captures like the normal escape room experience too, right? Four to five is, is usually like kind of sweet spot in terms yeah. of an in-person escape room. And it seems like that kind of echoes oh, yeah. that in the in the virtual world. Yeah, I would I would completely confer. I think I think when I did it, we might have only had three people, and I think it would have been maybe a little easier to navigate with a fourth. But I gotta imagine like starting to get upwards of like beyond five. It just you know you, you wind up in that situation where there's like not really enough to do, uh, and the crosstalk gets gets difficult. You know, like yeah, it Four does seem. Yeah, and it would, did seem really easy to scale it too. It sure seemed like there was always conveniently just enough buttons for all five of us to be on. Like the only way yeah. to open a door is for each of us to be standing on a platform. So it even even if for some reason you book a group of eight and you get left behind in that classic escape room experience where you're overshadowed, you still are going to need to do something. Your presence is still needed. You have to be involved. Instead of letting someone else decode the puzzle with the shoes and the stars and how they relate to the fabric color on the rug, you definitely cannot be passive. You have to be involved, which I think at the very least is is still good. Like, you know, no one can be left behind, it seems, in Dr. Crumbs. That's always what you want. All right, I'm going to jump in real fast with my topic of the week um, as I kind of continue my my journey through Southern California's uh, Halloween season theme park. So I went to Disneyland this past weekend um, for their spooky time. Um, and it, it's also, everything's kind of weird right there now because like all the characters are not near the people. And that's going to tie into something we're talking about in a second when we get to the Galaxy's Edge part. Um, my main hot take here is that i wish they would keep haunted mansion around for <laughs> the uh halloween season as it is haunted mansion holiday is nice and apparently celebrating its 20th anniversary which is crazy oh my god they've been doing it for 20 years 20 wow. years um wait 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 uh, is haunted mansion not available year round so in oh okay i guess this is for people who are not in dun, dun, <laughs> inside dun, la dun, dun, dun. 
with the music from nightmare before christmas which is the overlay they do on haunted mansion from like late september to early january um to do the nightmare before christmas thing so we Got lose it. out okay. on the normal spooky times for the uh nightmare for christmas and and, it, and here's the thing like haunted mansion holiday in and of itself i find to be completely delightful but there's also it an is. issue where it's like but you 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 also want the haunted mansion it's like you almost wish they just like had like Two haunted mansion. Yeah, <laughs> mansion. Yeah. You know, they just built the second floor. It's like, wow, it's twice as big now. Yeah, all the Tim Burton stuff's up on top. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what it is. So it's it is it is cool, but it's it's twenty years running during the most appropriate time for a haunted mansion, you lose out on the most appropriate haunted mansion. So that is that. And then um Galaxy's Edge, just like real quick to to touch on that, and I, I'm sure we've talked about star wars a lot on this show who knows um in life i'm pretty sure you did. <laughs> so so this one it's uh with the characters kind of not interacting they actually are kind of behind things and kind of try to keep away from from people a little bit so while i was there i was actually in galaxy's edge pretty late at night and um ray and chewbacca were actually out but they were there's an area where they have some like um land speeders and so they were kind of hanging out over there and actually like working on the land speeders and like playing. Oh, they, were, which... they, were over, they were over at the garage working on the yeah. speeders. Yeah, oh, that is that's different. That's new. They didn't do that before. So and I think it's because there's a gate there, so you can't get up to them. So I think it is is probably part of the COVID restrictions. But it was actually like it felt like oh, like people are actually inhabiting this world in a way they normally don't because um, they're actually interacting with some of the elements like around it instead of just kind of. The guests, and I'm sure that's not what people always want, but it was like, oh, this this tweet kind of made the land more immersive and actually takes advantage of things they don't normally do in Galaxy's Edge. So I thought that was kind of a cool way to um, incorporate some of those kind of social distancing things with their actors to um, so to build on on some of the immersiveness of uh, Galaxy's Edge. Well, I believe Todd Martin's talks about talked had talked about that in the la times at one point about how in part because the covid restrictions and the requirements to keep everyone safe like on main street main street is being used in a way where it's never been before is that correct where like people are up in windows it feels like yeah. main street is actually the street you could find in your town now yeah, so all of the characters, even in like I think New Orleans Square, like Tiana's up on on the balcony sometimes, or Jack Sparrow's kind of around the pirate area, and so all the characters kind of it like interacting with with Disneyland as a whole a little bit differently, and it, it does make it feel more more lived in. Um, huh. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that's a that's an interesting unintended side effect, like. Um, and probably worth meditating on, but now we're now we're like an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> this episode's ninety minutes, so. And thank you for everyone who has stuck with us, Sid and Benjamin, for all this time. We appreciate you. <laughs> and uh, now, does anyone have a last pitch for pick of the week before we wrap up completely? 
No, but I cannot wait for Laura to leave that Arcana experience and become hooked on League of Legends. <laughs> and we, she won't turn in reviews. Yeah. She won't go to things. She's too busy playing the game and can't be bothered. I cannot wait for that to happen. Neither now. can I. <laughs> I, uh, I. I wish I knew League enough to say like Laura's maining so and so now or something, but I don't. It's, it's, I, don't it's, I know a couple characters who. <laughs> do you want to be an archer lady? <laughs> On that note, on that note, we gotta go do pick of the week. Yeah, all right. We gotta go do pick of the week, and then I gotta train people on things. So, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week at the same time.